I'm your host, Erin Groves, and this is where your positivity journey starts. Welcome to the Pop Podcast. All right. Hey, 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 guys, and welcome back to the Pop Podcast. Happy Monday. I am, again, so excited to have yet another guest in the studio today. But before we introduce him, I wanted to give a little bit of background. This was someone that I met over the summer of 2021. So we're now in 2022. So about six or seven months ago. And one of my good friends, Laura, who's also on this podcast, took me and invited me on a boat. And it was Scott's boat. And I just remember sitting on the boat and talking to him. And I'm sure as we all know by now, I'm a very curious person, get into conversation. And I remember leaving that boat ride with three things that I needed to do in my professional life. And it's not often, I feel as if in my life, I've been very grateful to come across people that in a short boat trip in the middle of a summer, leave you with advice. You're like, wow, this is exactly what I want to do. So I am so excited to have the CEO of Soul Cyber, Scott McCrady on the podcast. Say hello. Hi, Aaron. How are you? Happy Monday. <laughs> he is so excited to be here. And I like to start every episode with just having you introduce yourself to the audience. So give us a little background on who you are and where you came from here in Dallas, Texas. Sure. I think a sort of probably maybe a normal, you know, childhood, if you will, born in Fort Wayne, Indiana, lived there like six years. Uh, we ended up moving down to Florida um, and its place uh, at the time was not very nice. So I apologize to anybody who's in Lakeland, Florida now, but it's between <laughs> Tampa and Orlando. And the joke was if you had to do anything important like get braces or get your eyes checked, you actually had to go to one of these cities uh, to go do them. Um, and the big thing that we were known for was um, I believe we were like the first Hooters in America. Oh, wow. For all my men listeners out there, their right. ears are ringing. And so my my family being very conservative, when we drove by the Hooters the first time, we were all, um, obviously all the boys, my brothers and I, we were very curious. And my dad was like, don't look, don't look. <laughs> um, so anyway, we were there until we were about 14. And then just to have more opportunity, we moved to Dallas. So been in Dallas most of my life. Uh, took about a decade overseas um, on some work and some other things. Um, went to a school out in East Texas. I was really small. Um, taught English uh, overseas in Thailand. Learned Thai. So had a have had a bit of a walkabout throughout my uh, <laughs> my life. You have an interesting story. And before we started recording this, he was telling me stuff. That I'm like, I know we need to ask about. So you started your career in sales and in the corporate world. And there's not many people, and I know I told you this when you walked in, that start at the bottom and truly work their way to the top. I talk a lot about entrepreneurship, going out there, building your own business, starting things, all the things that come along with that. So my first question to you is, did young Scott think that he would be or want to be where he is today? Or do you feel that your life happened and the journey kind of just took you in this direction or was this a vision that you had as a child or in your early adulthood yeah it's a great question um i think it i think there's a couple things so i think from a relatively early age uh i had this image that i wanted to get out and do more but you know when you're younger you don't really know what quote unquote do more is absolutely uh and so when i was in university i got a degree in in computers management information systems Came back to Dallas and got a job um, with a very large company up in Plano, EDS, for those who are around here. 
And at the time, you know, being an engineer seemed like a very logical thing to do. But in the back of my head, there's a sense that I needed to get out. I needed to get out of Dallas. I needed to um, go on a bit of a journey. You know, you've, you've, you've been doing this a while. So I'm sure you've heard this uh, concept of like, you know, the, the, the journey that all men need to go on, right? They need to go out. They need to figure themselves out. And they need to um, understand, you know, what they're about and, and sort of get the life figured out. And so there's this sense of like, if I stayed in Dallas forever, then that was going to be stunted and I wasn't going to really get to where I wanted to go as a, as a person or in my career or anything. But when you're in the moment and you're 23 and you're an engineer, you know, building out computer systems, um, how do you get from there to somewhere else was not very clear. Was it, you know, so that was a process that was, was in the back of my head, but as far as how to get there and what was the path, uh, that was a bit of a trick. So, um, there's, there's a bunch of things that ended up coming up that allowed me to sort of make that transition. Uh, but there was always something in there, but wasn't clear on, on what, what were all the different things you could do to make that happen. It wasn't like, okay, I'm just going to um, leave my job and go on a walkabout for a year. I wasn't in a position financially to just sort of you know, make decisions like that. So um, that's how it got started. You made a really good point because as someone that is in their 20s, starting out in the corporate world, I've and I actually listened to a podcast yesterday that just put into words everything that I had feeling. You have a vision and you know that you want more, but you don't know the steps to get there. And I think there's a lot of people out there who align with that and resonate with that because I have a goal, but I don't know how to get there. Now, looking back as you're on your career and the steps that you took, what advice would you give yourself going through that time, whether the listeners out there in their 20s and their 30s, what are things that you learned now looking back that you would do differently or maybe things that you would advise people to do when they're going through that phase of uncertainty? Yeah, it's a great question because um, when you're going through this path, there's things that you pick up if you're sort of noticing what's happening around you. And there's, I'll steal something from a guy named Scott Adams, who I don't know if you know. He's the creator of Dilbert. But he wrote uh, one time that, and I'm paraphrasing, so apologies, Scott, if, <laughs> if this isn't 100% accurate. But he said, build a complementary talent stack, and that will take you much, much further than if you're an expert at one. And so the first thing, and at the time, I, I'd never even heard of this concept, but I was lucky enough that um, the school I went to really focused on communication. And so... Uh, I'm a I'm an introvert. I have a, I'm a middle child. I had a very boisterous older brother and a very um, you know out there younger brother. And so you know going in and being forced to take communication classes, speech courses were just terrifying. Hated it. Had no natural ability. Would just you know sweat buckets. It was just a very sort of terrifying process. Um, in fact, I was asked. I think it was my first year uh, because they had us take classes and then they had an evening. Um, I think once a month where we had to do a men's class and a women's. So the women would go and they would talk and, and do a speech course and then they'd bring them together, sort of like Toastmasters in the evening. So you had your, your daytime class. And I, was, I had to give one of the speeches when the, when the girls came in. And, you know, again, being an 18-year-old guy, for me anyway, it was, uh, it was terrifying. So, but this, this concept of communication with a technical background ended up being, I think, what Scott, Apton, Scott Adams would call a complimentary talent stack. So I, first thing I'd say is, is figure out what complementary skills you have that you can go out and solve to sort of move your career forward. And I think this is really, really critical because we tend to specialize in one thing. And then another thing is I'd say is sort of jettison stuff that's really, really, really difficult and outside of your natural abilities and don't spend a ton of time trying to get better at that. And so an example was uh, one time I was asked to run a project 
very complicated. We were moving a data center and did it pretty well, but it was exhausting for me. It wasn't Mm -hmm. my personality to be that maniacally organized. I'm a relatively organized person, but this was, you know, thousands of cables and labeling each one. And afterwards they said, do you want a job and a promotion to go be um, a, a project manager for larger projects? And this is going to go to my second point, which is, um, I knew I didn't like that. Mm-hmm. I knew I could do it, and it was going to be more money and a promotion. But I walked away from that because I knew it wasn't going to be something I was really going to enjoy. And so I think this goes to the second piece, which is make sure you, you, you know, if you're not something that you really like and it's not going to help you necessarily, it's okay to not really focus on that. Find two or three things that you can stack together that makes you really interesting in the market. Uh, and then third thing, when I think it's super important, is you've got to figure out the right time to sort of back yourself and take a little bit of risk. And I think this is wildly critical. Um, I'll give you a story here is uh, when I was at the company, my first one, uh, you know, it's a big company. There's a set sort of schedule around how raises are done and bonuses are done and all these things. And there'd be a lot of people that would be really frustrated because they didn't think they're being recognized the way they should be. And all the typical things that everybody who listens to this sort of understands. Mm-hmm. And so I used to ask people, and these were super talented, you know, guys and girls at this, at this uh, company. And I was like, well, why don't you go somewhere else? And they would say, oh, you know, I'm going to. I'm going to sort of kick the tires and other things. But you could tell, like, they had no desire to really mm-hmm. go anywhere else. So they'd rather stay there, not, you know, and just sort of complain here and there. And not really, um, and I complained very little because I was like, hey, listen, you know, I'm doing my job. They're paying me. Sure, if I want to make more money, then I've got to go figure out a way to make that happen, or I got to put pressure on them to make that happen, or show more value uh, in order to do that. Maybe they need to recognize it a bit more. So, long story short, is you could tell when I was talking to these folks that they were not uh, going to move, even though they were complaining. And I'd ask them things like, "Well, go somewhere else. You're super talented. You're you're a good engineer. You you you're good with people." Um, where myself, and there's a funny story about what finally sort of moved me uh, on was I was in the process of sort of looking and I had zero problem going, okay, I'm willing to take a risk to go somewhere else, which ended up being a maniacal failure, um, which we'll get to that. <laughs> I've had multiple ones of those, um, but ended up being the best thing that happened in the long run. So uh, you do have to pick your times to sort of back yourself, look at what you have and what you bring to the, you know, to the overall situation and then make, make choices on when you know you can try to lever down on that a little bit and move your life forward. Being comfortable versus being uncomfortable. You have to be willing to be uncomfortable. You have to. Yeah. Yeah. And every podcast, every book, every successful person that I've talked to on this podcast has the confidence and has the ability to walk away. And so many times I get asked, how do you do this? How do you do this? Why do you do this? And it's because there's no way, in my opinion, and there's going to be a question for you, like, how do you grow if you're not putting yourself in situations that you've never been in before? And as someone that has taken risks, you've moved overseas, what are things that you learned or were there opportunities that you are looking back on now that happened simply because you left a job that you weren't happy or opened doors that had you not taken that risk, you would not have been in your position now as a CEO of an organization? I, I can name multiple ones, and, and I've got probably two that are, are relatively, because they both ended up going horribly wrong for a period of time before they got much, much better. And so the first one was my very first job. I'd been there five years, and um, what, what had happened was um, I was an engineer, but they kept sending me out to talk with customers, and there's a joke that says, um, can, you, <laughs> can you tell... 
can you tell a, an engineer who's better at talking with customers? And the joke is uh, they look at the other person's shoes instead of looking at their own shoes. So the joke is that engineers are so bad at customer ser- at dealing with customers that yeah. they don't look up, right? They just look over. And so because of this training with speeches and stuff, I, get, I kept getting sent out to work with customers. I ended up getting sent to London um, to work on some um, networks and engineering over there, but to help with a specific deal as well. And while I was over there, uh, these sales reps would take me out for beer and what have you. Uh, and they started telling me about these things like commissions because I was making, I was on, I was truly an, a network engineer and, and like how they got paid after they, they closed a deal. And some of these commissions would be like more than my entire salary. And I, I couldn't as this young guy get my head around how they could be making so much money. So long story here short is uh, they send me back to, to Plano and um, the deal closes and my boss says, hey, you know, amazing feedback from the team in Europe. They loved you. Um, and this is another one where it's willing to take risks. They asked me to go um, like on a Monday morning, but I had to be there by like Wednesday. So it was literally one of those things you just pack your bag, go, and you're just walking into something you don't even know and you just got to figure it out. So you, you got to be willing to be flexible. And he ends up giving me, and he's, he was being nice, but he ends up giving me a gift certificate to the store, the company store. And the gift certificate was like $5 less than a polo. And so I was like, I remember going to the company store going, I've got to put $5 in of my own money to get a polo, which I'm like, I don't even know if I want a company polo, but it's like the only thing that is the other pencil or something. And um, so I remember going, I was already in the process of looking for a job, but I remember thinking, okay, I've got to move into sales. That's, I've got to start the process because if I want to start moving ahead, you know, that's where the customers are. Uh, you're, you've got to get out there and start meeting with people. you you don't meet a ton of people as an engineer. Um, and so I ended up getting hired by this company. Um, and all my friends were like, I can't believe you're leaving. It's so safe at this big company. And I was like, you know, you got to take chances. Right? And, uh, you know, I was like, if you don't take chances, what are you going to do? And they're like, and, and the same people that were telling me before, like, oh, um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I don't like it here. Or, or they're not, you know, respecting me. Um, you know, they were sort of surprised I took the job. Well, the funny part is I get hired by this company they get purchased a week later, and six weeks after that, I get laid off. So I go from having this job that's five years, you know, everyone's the safest job on the planet, if you're, you know, even semi-talented, to being laid off about, you know, a month and a half, two months after I took the new job. So then all my friends <clears throat> at the old company were like, come back. Like, they'll take you back in a heartbeat, no hard feelings, et cetera, et cetera. And there's another one of these things where, I just knew I couldn't go backwards, mm-hmm. um, even though that had been the safe thing. Obviously, the, the paycheck, the insurance. I mean, there's so many reasons why it's very appealing. Um, and so I was unemployed for probably two or three months uh, looking for a new job uh, before I found one, uh, which, was, which was, you know, stressful. And, of course, the thing is, is that when you make a decision and then it doesn't seem to pan out, it's, it's funny how people want to pile on. And, I, you know, if we're, if we're talking about lessons in life, which I've never thought about this one until now, is there are a lot of critics like, and when they, when you make a decision, um, there are a lot of critics if, if the decision doesn't work out because people, it seems like really want to, you know, uh, you know, tell you they're right and that you were wrong. And these were friends of mine. And so it was a, it was a pretty stressful situation. Uh, but the new job ended up leading on to a bunch of other stuff that ended up getting me to where I am today. So uh, uh, one of those situations where you can't, uh, when you look back on it, you're like completely the right decision, but in the moment, I think this is what, you know, if I was talking to listeners, like in the moment, there's just a lot of crap that happens and you got to have a little bit of faith um, and a little positivity because it's just inevitable. Anytime you're trying to do something that's different, 
bigger than where you are right now, different mindset. You're going to run into these situations. I, I got, I, I ended up moving to DC, similar situation, went horribly wrong. Um, and you just have to understand that it's going to get better and have that faith to get through that because otherwise it's a very big challenge, but, but somehow it always does work out. Failure is something that not a lot of people talk about. Mm. We're quick to highlight. I have a podcast to highlight the success that people have, but every single person that I've had on this podcast highlights their failures. I think it has everything to do with the type of person that they are and expressing for other people to learn out there. What advice would you give for people out there that are navigating fear? Maybe they've made a decision such as the one that you have and they have family, friends telling them, why did you do that? I know for me personally, launching a podcast, I have gotten so much negative commentary that I easily could have said no when I know in my gut and in my heart that this is the direction that I want to take my life. So the question to you is, what advice would you give for people that are navigating fear or in a state of failure right now and overcoming that? It's um, it's a challenge. I mean, the first thing you just have to recognize is it's, it sucks. I mean, there's no, there's no like, oh, you know, I was so happy I was getting beaten over the head and body <laughs> by this horrible situation, right? There's, so there's, so there's no, there's no shame um, or, or anything about recognizing that like life is tough in the moment. Um, uh, so I was to, to tell a story, maybe this will help um, illustrate that is, um, I'd been working at this new company for a while, and um, I would come. Ba- ironically, I'd come back from a trip overseas uh, in Australia. My girlfriend at the time was out in D.C., uh, and we were really struggling out in the East Coast. And so they asked me to move out to Washington D.C. She and I were dating, planning on getting married. Um, had my house here in Dallas. Sold the boat. Sold the house. Moved to D.C. Get to D.C. and everybody's like, "Oh, you know, so cool that you can come out here. It's so fantastic, so amazing." Um, and then the relationship didn't work out. So the relationship, yeah, failed sort of wildly. And I was living, there was a moment in time, um, I don't know if I've ever told this on a, in a public place before. Okay. So <laughs> just between you and me, Aaron, and your, and your, your thousands and thousands of listeners. So there's this moment because my house had sold, but it, it fell through. And so, um, my agent said, we want to keep all your furniture here just for staging, to keep the house looking nice, right? They said, we'll get it out to you in D.C. in a short amount of time. But we want it, it makes the house look nice and easier to sell if we keep all your furniture and then you can move it out. Is that okay? And I said, you know, sure, hopefully it's not too long. But there was this moment where I was, I was living in this townhouse. Of course, we're broken up. So I'm living in this townhouse. It's a three-story townhouse. And I was, um, I had, um, in D.C., I had a blow-up mattress and I had one of those metal fold-out card tables you know, the four legs that you Fancy snap out. Fancy restoration hardware, sounds like it, huh? Uh, no, in we're, your house. We're talking more like Sears Robux. <laughs> like, if, you, if, you, <laughs> if you guys ever went to like church, right? You remember those things that they snapped out for, anyway, it's like, you know, whatever. It's like three feet by three feet and one metal chair. And that was it. And I was living on this blow up mattress with this metal chair in DC. And of course, all these friends that told me it was so great, you know, when I was out there, they're like, now they're like, oh man, I can't believe you moved. And why would you do that? And you had all your friends and your family and your house and your boat and everything in Dallas. And I'm so glad I'm not single. Like, oh, like single, but sucks. That's just would just be the worst. And they're, I'm like, like, come on guys. Like a little bit of positivity wouldn't be horrible right about yeah. now, you know? <laughs> and um, it was just a really, really challenging, like mental time frame. Um, I, obviously I was still employed. So that part was nice. Uh, but you know, when it feels like you're on a path and a trajectory in life and then somehow you feel like you've taken a U-turn, 
um, and you're living on a blow-up mattress, it's not ideal, right? Um, and so there are people that are going through way harder times than that. I know people that are literally, you know, I had a house, a roof, and a job, right? So I know people that have literally lost it all and staying with friends on floors. So um, what you what you have to do in those situations, at least for me, is what I found worked, is you have to sort of move away from the current moment. And you just sort of have to tell yourself a story. Lie to yourself if you have to about the fact that you'll you'll get it figured out and where do you want to go. Um, and it's a relatively sort of relentless thing oftentimes because you're in a bit of a headspace and then oftentimes people sort of add to it. Um, and so you have to, you really have to sort of take charge of your mental uh, situation. I used to have this phrase, I'd like, it is what it is. It is what it is. Things will get better. It always does. You just got to sort of keep moving forward, be happy, be put a smile on your face and then find something distracting. So the things that worked for me was I had a little bit of a mental, you know, sort of cut through when I was sort of in a funky place. I was like, it is what it is. I'd find something distracting as far as something fun to do. I'm a, I'm a big gym rat, um, like golf. So I'd, I'd find something fun to do there. Uh, and then you just sort of have to sort of mentally just put yourself into a positive mindset. Just find whatever you can that's, you know, worthy of life. You're healthy. You're, you're functioning well. You've got good friends um, in different places. Um, the irony of this whole story is similar to the last one is I ended up on a, on a, at a customer meeting up in Connecticut and, um, I had to get back to DC obviously because I was living there. Um, there's a massive snowstorm that blew in and we, uh, I was up there with this other guy, um, very senior guy in a business. And we ended up both having to take the train back from Connecticut back to DC all the way back laughing, telling jokes, having drinks. And he tells me, hey, next week you should come to my meeting. I've got this meeting. I'm going to give a briefing on sort of what's happening in my business. You should drop in. And because I was in DC, I was like, sure, I'll drop in. And um, the funny part of this whole story is right before I moved to DC, I was in Sydney on holiday. And I remember standing on the opera house on the harbor going, man, I would love to live in Sydney sometime. That would be so cool. So I'm, next week comes, I go to the meeting uh, I'm sitting in the back of the room because I'm not a part of his team. I'm just there to listen. And he's telling how the business is going pretty well. And then he says, you know, we've started this business in Asia a year ago. It's a complete disaster. We had two leaders in. We had to get rid of them both. And he says this joke. He was like, if you happen to know anybody who happens to know our business really well, who lives in Sydney, let me know. Ha, ha, ha. And I remember texting him saying, I'd be very interested in that job uh, in Sydney. And he came back, looked at his phone and said, um, let's talk. And then I was living in Australia about two or three months after. So if I hadn't taken the risk to move to D.C., I never would have been in that room because I'd have flown back to Dallas. So you don't know, and it, it's so cliche in the moment. And when, you're, when life sucks, you know, it's like, you know, it's going to be better and, and all that stuff. And it just sucks to hear that. But on some level, you have to believe it. Otherwise, what's the purpose? And so um, in this particular case, like a lot of times when I've had sort of crappy situations, there was something on the other side that ended up being better. Um, and you don't know what it is and you don't know how it's going to work out. Um, but you just sort of have to, you know, stick with it. So that's what I tell people. It sucks. It's okay to say it sucks. Uh, and then just try to figure out some paths, both mental and physical to move it forward. And then uh, have a little faith that it'll work out after. Perspective is everything. And I'm currently reading a book, which I know I've posted about a little bit on social media. It's called winning the war in your mind. And the one quote in there that stuck with me and it's half of the why for my podcast was like, change your mindset, change your life. And every single episode I bring people like you on because every single one of them 
has a mindset of greatness, the name of Lewis House podcast, that, no, that was not intentional. But I just think truly, and I believe this at my core, that when you change your mindset, everything else around you change. And I know when you're in that tough time, you're like, why is this happening to me? But it, And it's quick to get caught up in that. And then you look back on your life, you're like, wow, all of those things happened. And I met all those people. And even for this podcast, like meeting people like you, like had I not became friends with Laura, got on that boat, I never would have met you. We would never have been here. So it's just when you really look back on that and you switch that perspective, you moved across the country or not across the country, across the world. What are lessons that you learned about yourself, both personally and professionally, from being overseas that you look back on now and you're grateful for, or again, things that maybe you're like, I wish I wouldn't have done that when I was, when I made that choice. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a good one. Um, it's, it's really hard to come up with negative stuff because if, if your path, if as, as winding as the path is, it all sort of ends up in a, in a good spot. Um, I would say that the thing with international living uh, and so I, I was a volunteer English teacher in, Th- in Thailand when I was in college. And that sort of gave me this uh, initial glimpse into that when you're living overseas, it is just a different experience. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a wildly different experience. And so the, the best part about it, especially when you're living and not just like traveling there, is you really get to sort of, you know, in, imbue the culture, right? You really get to suck it in. Um, and you really get to like meet the people and understand the way they live and how they go about doing what they do. And it's funny because you know when you come back to the states and there's a bit of a thing right now where you know America maybe isn't the coolest or what have you. Um, is you it does give you a, a love for the states. Um, you can appreciate what a lot of other people do, but if you want to get ahead in life, you know there's still nowhere else in the planet that gives you the opportunity that the U.S. does. And so, um, as much as I you know, love Sydney. I lived in Singapore, Thailand, London, you know, all these places. The best parts is really getting to sort of understand the people, meeting the people. And, the, and it's, again, that's so silly, but, you know, everybody is literally trying to figure out how to make life work, have good relationships to make sure the kids are happy. I mean, it's like universal. It doesn't matter where you are. Um, the things I love is it forces you outside your comfort zone. I mean, um, you, you know, I did deals in Japan, um, <laughs> I mean, you just, you see stuff that you just aren't, are not mentally prepared for. Like there's this time, um, where I was working, uh, we were working on a deal and this, we were, we went to this, this karaoke place. And so as you, as the Japanese people, myself and a couple people, my team and, um, everybody's singing karaoke. I'm a horrible singer. Uh, so I'm just sort of laughing and what have you. And this guy goes out and he gets into a, in over his like sh- suit, but not really. He ends up coming back with like a chipmunk outfit or something like that and sings a, a chipmunk song. And it's Alvin like, and the chipmunks. It was. And so you're, you're, you're listening. You're like, I remember just having this out of body experience going, I can't believe like we sent, you know, we spent three or four hours with this guy and his team and very serious. And then, um, you were in this karaoke thing, we're singing, and then he comes in with his outfit, and then the next day, you have to go to a meeting with him, and the whole day long, all I could think was chipmunk, chipmunk, chipmunk. Like, I couldn't get the, the image out of my head. So, one of the great parts about living internationally is you will definitely get thrown into some experiences that you are just not prepared for. Like, like make the make the American eat horrible, horrible food. That's a great one. The other thing it does is it forces you to get creative about how do you solve problems, because um, this is a a generic statement, but generally speaking, blue cheese is not a super fantastic 
favorite food in Asia, right? They're, it's just not something that, generally speaking, they, they enjoy a lot. Um, on the other hand, I, there's some stuff that they've given me, like raw snails that, you know, that I'm not a big fan of. And so you learn this trick where you say things like, well, you know, I'm not going to drink the beer out of your shoe uh, unless you eat some blue cheese with me. And so you figure out, and they, they find it hilarious, like when you're, you know, so you have to find a niche of the country, sort of what are the games that they're going to, because they're going to play games with you and you have to figure out the games to play back with them. And ironically, if you play them well, they, they start, you know, they start respecting you and, and you end up, I have some of my best relationships some of my best friends are, you know, in places like, you know, China, Japan, Australia, uh, Singapore, a buddy from Singapore is pinging me today. So I, I still have amazing relationships from, from them hazing me and me trying to figure out ways to get them, from, to keep them from hazing me. I've had one other person on this podcast and he was an Olympian like wrestler and he made a really good point that by traveling overseas and experiencing the world, it gave him a newfound appreciation for living in the States. Do you feel that that statement resonates with you? Are there things that living overseas taught you that you feel we could embrace a little bit more or advice for people that maybe are thinking about going overseas or wanting to learn more about the culture of, I mean, for me personally, I've never literally never been overseas, but that's just my, you know, I mean, you know, um, in today's world, it's, it's such a crazy topic. Um, I could just yeah. like dive straight into the politics and like all of a yeah. sudden everybody's going to be our positivity podcast could just go horribly, horribly wrong. Um, the thing, the thing I would say is, uh, it's very easy to take the U.S. for granted. Yeah. It's, it's crazy easy. And there's so, many, there's so many things you can focus on that aren't working or could work better. I mean, it's just it's sort of the human nature. So we do it in relationships, right? We're, all su- we're super excited to meet somebody. You know, we're with them for two years. And all of a sudden, we start nitpicking on stuff that isn't going to help. Um, and so for me anyway, when you live overseas, it really – I'm an appreciative person just generally. I tend to try to find the best in situations – I always find myself going, man, I love this about this place, right? I, I like Singapore was so clean, and organized, and just incredibly safe. You know, Sydney was beautiful, and just summer times were magic. Um, but, you know, and then Thailand was so delicious as a country. The food, the people, there's so much aroma to the country. And it just, um, it, it just really sort of spoke to me as a person because there was so much sort of joy in the country. Um, and, and then just, Wild poverty, like poverty that as an American, it's not, you're just not used to seeing people in card, you know, cardboard shacks or corrugated steel buildings and what have you. And so when you come back to the States, you just realize like the infrastructure that we have in the U.S., the roads, the buildings, the opportunity, you know, there's places in the world that if you're not, you know, um, connected to the royalty or to a family that's very successful, then getting out of, you know, the middle class is almost impossible. And, you know, I'm a nobody, like literally, you know, who knows Scott, right? But it's, 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 it's silly. But if you, if you take chances and you have a positive viewpoint and we'll, we can talk a little bit about too, like what it takes to be successful as far as I think people overcomplicate it sometimes um, around just doing the basics. But um, you've got a shot to, uh, in the States, you know, to be an entrepreneur, to build your own company, uh, to work your way up. I mean, there's tons of stories about people that started in the mailroom or started as an engineer and 25, 30 years later, they're running, you know, Qualcomm or what have you. So the opportunity in America is still, you know, unmatched. Um, and the infrastructure and what we have here, as much as it is easy to sort of complain, it's very easy to get sort of caught up in, in how it's bad, but it is a, it's an amazing, it's an amazing country. And, and 
you know, the concepts that it's built on are amazing. You know, the concept of, of getting to live your life and trying to figure out, you know, how to take care of yourself is, is not sort of universally, you know, accepted. So uh, I was definitely more appreciative of the States after I'd left while still loving, you know, all the places I lived and traveled. It's always a, something I like to learn from other people. Cause like I just said, I am not someone that has gone and done that. And it's something that I've always wanted to do. My family never went overseas, but every time I talk to someone, they always come back with just a, gif, a different level, level of gratitude and an added level of humil- humility. And it's so inspiring to me because <clears throat> unless it's hard to be you know, sympathetic and empathetic, I think there's a lot of people that struggle with that until you've gone through things. And I know for me, it's hard for me to empathize or see how someone's feeling if they've gone through a divorce. Like I've never been through that. So it's hard to really put yourself in someone else's shoes. And I think when you put yourself in those situations, not only are you're just opening yourself up for so much personal growth and humility is one thing that all great leaders have. And just from the time that I've known you and obviously working your way up to the top as the CEO, what are some traits and characteristics that you feel make a great leader? And then the second part of that is what do you think are some misconceptions or some mistakes <laughs> that we as a society think great leaders should have or things that we overlook in leaders? Yeah, it's a tricky one because uh, I, it's, it's really hard to explain and so I use an analogy to see if it resonates with people is because when you're, when you're trying to explain it, I, I, I didn't understand it when people tried to explain it to me. And, and the only way I can describe it is, you know, when you're, when you're 12, right, and you meet somebody who's 20, they just seem super old and super mature and super wise and they've got it all figured out, right? And then you get to be 20 and you're like, I don't, I, oh man, what do I know? And then and you're, you're trying to figure out and then you get, you know, you think that people that are 30 and 40 have it all figured out. And I feel leadership is very similar to that when you're not in a leadership position is you think that the leaders have all the answers and they've got it all figured out and they've got an amazing strategy and they're, you know, fantastic personalities and they've got all these skills. And the reality, I think, is is it's much less than that. Um, and so um, a lot of times it's good people doing the right thing, getting good people around them um, is what a leader is. And so there's a bunch of skills I do think a leader has to have. Um but I do think it's it's over sort of dramatized. Uh, at least it was for me and the people I've talked to. It was it was, it was sort of mythical, you know, this this concept. And and I, what I tell everybody is is it's not really that mythical. It's like if you can get your own life under control and figure out how to really move your life forward, then a lot of times those things that you're doing there, you're just magnifying by a hundred people, two hundred people, six hundred people. But it's, it's the same stuff, right? So you just, obviously there's things around great product and all that jazz, that all matter. But as far as pure traits. And so first thing I'd say is, is definitely don't, um, if, if you want to be a leader, don't think it's more than what it probably is. I've seen some amazing leaders. I've seen some people that shouldn't be in a leader. They just happen to be good at speaking. Um, and so, you know, don't, don't, don't be afraid, not, not you, but anyone, don't be afraid to go after it, um, either in your own company um, or, or with, uh, you know, if you start, if you want to be an entrepreneur, uh, and don't be daunted by that. It, now, the thing I will say is, it does take some skills, and, and but none of the skills are things that can't be learned. And so, you do need some skills around being able to speak to your people. So, as somebody who was uh, shy and an introvert and all this jazz, um, that piece did matter. 
because you are going to have to talk to people. You're going to have to talk to your employees. You're going to have to be able to communicate uh, what you're trying to accomplish and, and where do you think the company should go and the product should go. So there's definitely something I'd say around communication. And I'd say what people over-rotate on is a lot of the really bad leaders I've seen are pretty good about communication, but they're just not good people, right? They're not quality humans. And so um, there's a lot of baggage that goes on behind the scenes. Uh, and so if you really want to b- build, in my opinion, a long, you know, standing, stable, growing company, uh, you have to have good good ideas around what you're selling and what your product is so that your product has to bring value to people. So so don't mistake that piece. And we can talk about that as a separate thing. But as purely a leader, um, it's, you know, it's doing the right thing on a regular, consistent basis, treating your people uh, with respect um, and and trying to figure out how to like have some fun and, and enjoy the process uh, because we all spend a lot of time at work. And, and if you can figure out a way to sort of make that process really enjoyable um, and everybody's sort of pulling together. Uh, I love sports. So the sports analogies always work, but, you know, winning and the deals and product that people love and that bring in value that just makes for a fun environment. Uh, but definitely work, the communication side matters um, is, is probably number one. And then the ability to keep and maintain good people. Um, so, so treating them well and being honest and have, being a little bit authentic. You just said consistency, which we all know that's my favorite thing to talk about and everyone else's favorite thing to talk about. If you're not consistent, not going to say you're not going to be successful, but I think it's hard to be a super successful person if you're not consistent, if you don't show up every day. And I also always say in a, in a piece of advice I always give people is go internal if you want everything external to change. And I think there's leaders that focus so much on the external. They focus so much on fear-based motivation. They focus so much on these numbers and hitting this and hitting this that they lose sight of who they are. And I love that you just said that most great leaders have themselves figured out. And you are a spiritual person, which I want you to share a little bit about where that came from and what that journey for you look looked like, because I don't mean this in a sexist way, but it's not often that you find CEO alpha personalities in the business world that will be the first to say that I'm a spiritual person and I went internal on things. So from me as the interviewer, I'm just curious to hear what that journey was for you and for other people out there listening that can resonate with your story. Well, the, I used to have this joke that I said, and because they'd say alpha this and alpha that, and I said, I'm a solid, I'm a solid beta plus. And, um, <laughs> and, and it was a joke because I never felt necessarily connected to the really rambunctious, outgoing, walk into a, a situation, just own the situation. And I had some friends that were just very larger than life characters and, and that. So I don't, the other thing I'd say is you don't necessarily have to be the life of the party or massive extrovert, um, which is important. So, um, so spirituality, yeah, it's it's a tricky one because uh, tricky is not the right word. It's 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 personal, right? And so yeah. I think the biggest thing with with um, spirituality is it ties into this to me a larger concept, which is how to if you want to have a great life, which everybody says they want to have a great life, then there's some things that you're just going to have to do. You're just going to have to, and and I'm happy to debate anybody who wants to, and I'm not really. A debating if somebody believes differently, knock themselves out. But in my view, in my opinion, you have to do three things. And the first thing you have to do is you get, have to get your health figured out. So I'd put these in order. Most people would put spirituality number one. Um, I put spirituality number two. Um, I think health is far and away the most important thing because um, it impacts everything else. It impacts your ability to make money. It impacts your finances. Uh, fixing your health is very expensive. And then on top of that, um, your spiritual life is significantly harder 
um, if your health isn't isn't sorted out. So the first thing I tell everybody is you got to get the health figured out. Doesn't mean you've got to be a, a ripped, you know, athlete looking person. Um, but there's some real basics that you have to do around your health um, that sets you on a path to success. Be specific. So what are things that you've done? Is it a routine? Is it uh, be give examples? Perfect. So the there's a couple of things that appear to be, you know, what 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 we know now, and this could change in, in 10 or 15 years, but what we know now, there's some there's some basics that I think almost everybody can do. Um, there's definitely a pivot from what we all grew up in, you know, the 80s and 90s, which is aerobics-based um, to weight-based. So everybody needs to be doing some sort of resistance training, and that's men, women, everybody. Um, we lose a, approximately a pound, uh, a pound of muscle, a uh, percent of muscle every year, and we gain about a percent of fat every year if you just are, are staying normal. Yeah. Um, the only way you counteract that bone density problems. I mean, there's just a whole bunch of stuff. Hormones, you lose testosterone, estrogen, you lose, you lose uh, very important hormones. Almost all of that gets significantly helped by some sort of resistance training, weightlifting, something along those lines. Um, so I would recommend to most everybody, and for all the women out there, you're not going to get bulky and you're mm-hmm. not going to look like the girl at the gym that you're really nervous about. It's almost impossible for, for girls to get too bulky. Um, and for guys, you know, pounding on the treadmill for, you know, 40 minutes is not going to get you what you need. So first thing, 60% resistance training, 40% uh, cardio, something along those lines, 70, 30, 80, 20. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is um, diet matters. Uh, you can't out-train a bad diet. Love that. So um, for me, this was over a decade ago. I was trying to figure out how to hack. I was doing about three to 400,000 miles a year on planes. And so it was, it was ridiculous. I was running a global, a global group um, with a company. And I was like, how do I stay semi-healthy? Uh, and this was before it got really popular was I just stopped eating on Mondays. Now I, I'm going to say right here, I know most people aren't going to go, I can just do that. So, um, don't, don't stress about what I'm about to say next, but, um, I just stopped, uh, I, would eat a nice dinner, uh, Sunday night and then I would eat dinner again on Monday night. So I'd, I would not eat. I do intermittent fasting for about 24 hours. And I've been doing that for probably over a decade now where I just don't eat on Mondays until dinner, Sunday night dinner to Monday night dinner. Now we know that there is this massive health knock-on effect with intermittent fasting. When I did it, I just felt better. I felt better. I felt leaner. And it gave me a day to what I felt was recover. That's what it felt like to me. Um, And so I would definitely recommend everyone out there. Again, I'm not a medical device, so please, all the normal caveats, talk to your doctor and all that stuff. And pregnancy, I don't know any of that stuff. We'll put a disclaimer. Please. He's not a doctor. Um, But – the process of not eating 24-7 is a very good thing. We all fast when we sleep. Anytime you can extend that, um, I found it to be helpful. Um, and it does the other thing, which is which is calories in, calories out. So um, I personally sort of work off of a, of a keto-esque type diet. So I just limit. I'm not, I'm not maniacal about never eating a carb or any of that stuff. Um, but I just tend to lean more towards uh, good proteins and, you know, lots of veg- vegetables, uh, things along those lines. So um, if I were to be really specific, um, find some way to get some resistance training. Get a, get somebody who can help you in the gym. If you can't afford a trainer, um, there's always somebody who will help you at a gym. Um, and most of the time, if you don't have the money, the gyms themselves will try to help you. Um, they've got trainers there um, usually watching. So, so try to figure out that. Um, and you don't have to like uh, read tons of books on it, just the basics. Uh, second thing would be on your diet, um, obviously limit your sugars, number one, just just really try to limit your sugars and just eat good quality calories. Uh, and the third thing is I'd say is if you can, 
maybe start at 12 hours, you know, something along those lines, but work your way up. I do, I usually um, do an 18 hour on Thursdays. So I usually fast on Mondays, do, you know, 12 to 18 hours on Thursdays um, without eating. So work your way up, maybe start doing 12 hours for one, one day a week or two days a week. Give your body a time to rest and recuperate. This is a horribly, um, again, if there's any scientists out there, this is a horribly uh, bad analogy, but it's, it, hopefully it, it, it illustrates a point. But when you, when you go into a fast, fasted state, your body starts healing itself. And so when you start eating, the body says, well, I need to consume the calories. So it sort of turns off the healing process and turns on the, I need to do something with the vitamins and minerals I'm, I'm consuming. So the longer you stay in a fasted state, uh, the longer it gives your body a chance to not have to deal with other things and can sort of stay in the repair process. So um, definitely take care of the, the physical aspect um, of your life. And then, too, you feel better, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, 1,000. The other big point of this is it is very selfish because if you do want to be successful, um, you feel better. You've got more energy. You feel better about yourself. Um, the second piece in is the spiritual aspect. So um, there's just challenges in life. And so you've got to find a way to, to get your head to a place um, that allows you to have some faith in humanity, faith in yourself, and faith that good things are going to happen. Uh, I'm a meditator, you know, so I, I meditate twice a day, uh, pretty pretty consistently, pretty religiously. Um, you know, church. I grew up in a very you know sort of conservative church, um, which gave me some really good background as far as like you know Christianity and sort of how that worked. Um, had a, got a minor in theology uh, and university, um, which was which is just sort of useful for understanding the way other religions uh, go about things. But if, you know, Buddhist, Christianity, what have you, um, you know, Islam, there's all, there's, there's all benefits. But the, the biggest thing is you've got to figure out a way to sort of get the mind out of the ruts and the, the tendencies it has um, and transition it to a mindset that allows you to be more comfortable and quiet, more comfortable, um, you know, being on your own and be able to think clearly uh, and be able to make good decisions. And then that allows you under tough times to sort of deal with the conflict and the stress that's coming because, you know, it just happens, right? Life, life, you can't control life. And so if you can't control life, then the only thing you can do is control your health as much as you can um, and then control your spiritual mindset. Uh, and, and it's not, again, this isn't super difficult. There's a million, there's podcasts that are on positivity. Um, I know one, I've heard of this person, Aaron, she has one. Um, <laughs> Not me. So there's tons of stuff you can do, but um, I'm a big meditator. I think uh, As am I. Ten, 10 minutes, you know, twice a day works miracles. <clears throat> Ironically, almost like the majority of good ideas around business or um, critical things that we need to do oftentimes come after I've done this. Like I'll be sort of finishing up I'm like, oh, this would be a great idea. We should do this. Our customers would love it if we do this. So the other thing it does is, similar to health is you get these knock-on benefits of oftentimes coming up with really important decisions or important ideas that allow you to continue to move, you know, your, your monetary side forward. And so the last thing obviously is monetary. So if you want to have a great life, in my opinion, got to get your health sorted out, get your spiritual life sorted out. Both of those lead to an ability, I think, to have more flexibility around what you want to do in life from a monetary standpoint. Um, you know, the whole classic, uh, you can't be happy having money. I would agree with that. I know a lot of people that are wealthy that are very unhappy, but I've also not had money and that sucks. So um, if, you, if you're happy, money is an accelerator. It gives you lots of options. Take care of your family, um, do things for your friends, obviously, and then be able to enjoy experiences You know, while you're here. You see a lot of successful people that have a journey and have a practice and have a daily routine that's similar to your own. I've been a meditator. I started this a year ago. 
I work out every day. And I think it's hard, and maybe this is something that you'll agree with. It's hard for me sometimes to explain it because it is just such a feeling that you have that it's hard to tell people outside. And I know people that have listened to this podcast, like we can tell how passionate you are. I just know and believe it into my core that I'm like, if you take the time to go internal on yourself and you understand who you are and you're independent, everything else around you will work. And there's a part of me that gets my head because you're like, okay, you're not a CEO of this or you haven't had this success. I'm 25. I hate to say it's like my age, but it's like, I just know from the places that I've been and like the opportunities that I've had, had I not done all those challenging things and journaled and written out all of the things that I like or the places that I want to go and all of it, I wouldn't be where I am today. So how, mean, how would you describe it? Because it is a personal thing. It is an emotional thing. So we, if you were to describe this, you know, the classic, the alien landed on earth and said, explain to me this thing that you do and what the benefit is. How would you explain to somebody who's never had it? Because it's tricky to explain like why this helps somebody um, when, when you know it helps you and you can feel it. Um, is there an analogy that you use to help communicate that? I just feel that when you do the hard things in life, when you do the things that no one else wants to do, when you sit and meditate when there's 50 other things to do, when you go to the gym and work out, 90% of the people aren't going to do those things. And so for me, it's like I've always had a vision that is probably a lot bigger than I'll ever get. But I've just always been someone that woke up every day and I wanted a purpose bigger than my own. And I walk up to people like you and I LinkedIn message people like you and every single one of them told me the exact same thing. I meditate, I work out, I do all of these things. And so in my mind, I'm like, if all of these people have what I have, and you'll hear a lot of successful people say, find someone or find a mentor. And I had that for myself that emulates a life that you want and take their advice. That doesn't mean take it down to the core and do every single thing that they did. Be authentic in who you are. But for me, and I'll give a little bit of a story here, which once this episode comes out a little bit, or you guys would have heard it on last week's episode, but there was a point in my life when I wasn't happy and I wasn't doing anything that I'm doing now. I was insecure. I wasn't confident. I was 16. I was going through everything that all of us young people go through. And I found fitness and my life forever changed. I was addicted to the endorphins. I started working. I started making money. Everything that needed to fall into place fell into place once I started making those concerted efforts. And so it's just interesting because it feels repetitive. And sometimes when I have people like you on and they keep saying the same thing, but you would be shocked at how many people hear that same thing over and over and over again. And yet they still come up to me and they're like, Aaron, how do you do it? Like I take care of myself first. And it's not in a way that's selfish. It's in a way of like, I have a vision that's greater that I want to serve people. And the only way I can serve is if I take care of myself first. The only way I can create for this podcast is if I go internal. So I think it's a long-winded way to answer your question. And I don't really know if there is. I mean, I've been a podcast freak my whole life, but I think it's hard to explain. But if you're listening to this on the other side, I think once you get there, you'll know where we are. It's kind of like, again, like I don't have kids. Everyone says like, once you see your kid, it's a different type of love. Maybe it's that similar feeling, but it's just one of those things of like, this is it. This is what I've been working towards. Makes sense. I mean, if you, what's the classic phrase? Um, if, if you don't have energy of yourself, then how do you give energy to anyone else? Right. Yeah. Um, so, um, I think, I think it's a good story. Yeah. It's a good story for you to share because, um, 
most people most people are struggling with it, right? And there's a we all know what's going on sort of right now with like people being frustrated and depressions rising, yeah. and especially for kids and girls. You know, I read a stat that was just shocking that said like fifty percent um, self harm. Again, not to get too negative here, yeah. but but kids, teenagers need to hear this yeah. stuff, right? And so everybody needs an out, right? Yeah. You need an out, and mm-hmm. and so physicality in the form of exercise and what have you is a great distraction, and then. Getting your head right is is leads to good relationships and good business, and obviously, getting your money right takes a lot of stress off of how do you take care of things that are important in today's life, whether or not it's kids, family, other you know other family or give donations or or whatever that you want to do travel. And so, to me, like finding ways to communicate that to people that get them to buy in on it is important. And trying to come up with in, interesting analogies to saying, well, it's sort of like this thing over here. Um, and and it's always been tough tough for me to explain it. I just go, I feel better, right? When I, and there have been times where I haven't done it as much, and you can definitely there's momentum towards not doing it, um, and so and you feel differently. And so for, I think one thing maybe is is once you get going and you feel it and you see some results, then it, it sometimes becomes easier because you get some good positive momentum going. And the last thing on that too, I think we live in a world where we want instant gratification versus long term of happiness. And I don't know if it was the way I was born. I, I don't know. But my mindset has never been about, I want to I be skinny tomorrow or I want to have this or I want to lose 10 pounds. My entire philosophy is always like, I want to build a life that I'm proud of. I want to build a life where I'm serving and helping other people. And I want to build a life that when my time has come, there's not a single thing that I regret. And so for me, all of that ties into that vision. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm taking care of myself and I'm doing all of the right things, I'm not going to look back and say, what if you did one more workout? Or what if you lost, like all of those things, I don't want to have regrets in my life. Like mm-hmm. I, do, I just don't, be, like for me personally, I just don't believe in that. I think you only have one time on earth. So why would you not maximize it and do everything you want to do if you make a million mistakes? I mean, I've made a million mistakes. Um, but while we're kind of on this, what other traits do you feel make successful people? If there's people out there listening, they're like, I want to be a CEO. I have a lot of people that listen that want to be entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did, what characteristics do you see or look for in super successful people or people that are running businesses like yourself outside of the health? I know that's probably 50% of it, but no, I, so there are specific things when it comes to yeah. like being an entrepreneur or, or being successful. Um, for those people that are sort of starting their career early, I would say that it's much less complicated than people think. And I call it, the, it's, I, I literally just tell people it's the basics. It's have a good attitude. Like literally have a good attitude when you show up to do whatever you're going to do. Um, companies do not fire people that have good attitudes. Now, getting the first job, if you're coming out of college or you're trying to figure out, or if you're, you, you know, you're coming out of high school even, um, because there's many paths to making a, a great career now that don't involve college. So it, regardless, the first thing is, is you've got to get your foot in the door somehow. That's the most important thing. You just got to get the first job. So so do whatever you can to get the first job, right? Um, if you got a skill, put it out there. But once you're in, people don't fire people that are good people. It just doesn't happen. It's so rare because everybody knows that happy, you know, um, positive people sort of hard to come by. And so this is so I mean, all this stuff just feels so cliche, but I'm just telling you, I've, I've hired and fired, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people. And the first thing is is if you're positive, can do spirit, show up to time, show up on time, um, you know, enjoy, just enjoy being at work and being a being a positive impact to everybody else. You, you've you've solved ninety percent of the problem, right? 
Um, the second thing is, is I do think getting a, a complimentary talent stack is really important. So if you're a good developer, what can you add to, de- to that to, to be, you know, to be a better developer, right? Or to be more impactful to the people around you. And most of the time, I would say communication is almost always something mm-hmm. that everybody could get better at. Uh, I mean, there's, there's, and there's a million ways to get better at communication. Um, so I would say figure out a couple of things that you can add, uh, and this is going to apply to entrepreneurship, um, that you can add to what your natural skill is. So my background is, is computer security, so obviously I'm an you know, entrepreneur in the computer, computer security space. But there are a lot of things I had to do with, my, with who I am naturally. So again, I'm an introvert. I'm not somebody who, uh, of my own style, talks a lot. Uh, and so if you want to be an entrepreneur, you've got to figure out a way to communicate mm-hmm. what you're trying to accomplish to other people. And so you've got to be able to get the vision of how this helps you know, or brings value to people's lives uh, and makes it interesting. And then you have to be able to you know, articulate that vision. Um, and so- I definitely would say, you know, the multiple talent stack is, is important. And then the third thing is um, when you're when you're sort of moving, up, you know, however you want to go about doing it, um, you've got to you've got to have the ability to um, align what you're trying to accomplish to what the customer cares about. Right. And this is a unique skill. And it's something, again, that can be that that some people maybe have it naturally, like many things in life. There's maybe a very small percentage of people, but this is also something that you can learn. But the ability to understand the customer and, and how you make their life easier, better. And the easier is either allows them to go home, see their family faster. Um, it takes uncertainty off their plate so they, they have more um, clarity on what's going to happen to them. Um, it allows them to have you know, less cost so they can build their product uh, in a very competitive market. So there's lots of things around when I say easier. Um, but if you can really understand what your customers are trying to achieve, you know, Steve Jobs had this famous, famous line. He goes, a lot of times they don't know what they need until mm-hmm. you show it to them or you explain it to them. Then when you do, oftentimes like, oh my goodness, I, I would love that thing, right? So that, that, you don't have to be Steve Jobs, right? Um, yeah. Congrats to whomever out there is. Um, but you do have to have the ability to have a vision of a little bit in the future about putting something together that, um, that customers want. So I'd say on the um, entrepreneurship side, the most important thing is product is you really have to figure yeah. out that aspect and people come up uh, and I've, I've been at startups that have failed. A lot of startups yeah. have failed. And so um, entrepreneurship is a very, uh, it's like, it's like being a model or, or being an actor. Like it's very mythical. Um, and, and this isn't to be put to, to make people question themselves, but I'm just gonna be realistic is a lot of people go to Hollywood. They don't make it in, you know, film yeah. or what have you. Same thing in entrepreneurship. Now, a lot of people end up doing multiple things and then they finally hit it. Some hit it on the first time, some hit it on the second, the third time. Um, but usually where there's failure, it's because uh, the, uh, the entrepreneur is very fascinated technically um, about something. They want to solve a problem. So if you're a painter, they're, maybe they're, they're very fascinated with technically how to paint something. Um, or if you're an engineer, you're fascinated with how to solve this problem. But the question is, is you've got to have somebody else who cares, right? And so there's yeah. a famous quote, you want to be a billionaire? Build something that a billion people will pay a dollar for, right? It's, it's, it's not that hard in a, in a, in a theoretical manner. Yeah. But the tricky part is going, what, what, what is it? How do I make their life better, right? And if you, can ask, if you can get that question answered and people will pay you for it, then, then you're on the right path to success. Um, the other thing I tell entrepreneurs, and I think this is really important, is if you, if you start telling your story at zero about how your thing can help them become successful, 
Um, and so you tell the story and people get excited about it. They can get excited up to what I call the 90%, which is telling you how amazing it is and how they were so fascinated, so interesting. The last 10% between where they tell you it's amazing and they cut you a check is all that matters, right? And so what happens is it's very easy um, to either get told bad things. So you get people that are like, this thing sucks and it's terrible. Uh, Airbnb famous story. I think they got turned down by like a hundred people that said, nobody's going to allow strangers to live in their house. That's, that's insane. They, they really believe that that was going to happen. So sometimes it's the negative part about what people tell you. And you sort of have to fight your way through that. But the, but the reality is um, you've got to figure out a way to get somebody to, to cut you a check. Mm-hmm. And you can't necessarily buy in all the good stories because a lot of people will tell you good stories about how they love the idea. The question is, is would they pay for it, right? Yeah. Um, and, and as an entrepreneur, it's very easy to get enamored by the love story of the thing, right? Um, and, and you need to be, actually. Otherwise, you, you get turned on 100 times. You, you're never going to get, you know, your money from, you know, whomever you need it. But, but on the other hand, you do have to have some what I'd call realist, realism around are people going to actually pay for that thing? And so, there's like like almost everything in life, right? There's a there's this duality that's constantly at play um, with 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 life, which is, as you said, is like you always got to do one more. You got to live your best life. You got to do this, but there's also this balance of like, well, it's good to get a good night's sleep. It's uh, it's good yeah. to spend some time with friends. It's the same sort of here, which is you have to really buy into your vision and you have to trust it, um, and you have to really believe that it's going to bring value. But you can't get so enamored by it that you sort of lose sight of the fact that nobody's paying you for that thing. And, and a lot of people will tell you sweet, sweet things, uh, but if they don't cut the check, uh, then, then your product doesn't have a fit in the market. And that's really important. One of my Sorry, that's a little technical no, on, on you're, entrepreneurship. <laughs> no, you're fine. It's, it's a different perspective, which I love. I mean, every guest has a different, you know, they go super granular, they don't go super granular, but it is funny because I like to think that I'm a positive person, but I have had people that are like, Aaron, you sound pessimistic right now. Or they come at me like, I just have a sense of realism. I think there's a lot of people that they do have a vision and I'm definitely someone. And that's why I'll be the first bit. Like I do have a big vision, but I also think you have to bring yourself down to the ground level and to the earth level and be like, is this actually something that is realistic? And that's where to me and some of the successful people I've had, they're positive people, but if you came across them, you would almost think the opposite because they're pessimistically optimistic, which again, like kind of contrasts each other, but it's like, they're so realistic and they're very logical about where they're going that if they didn't have that sense of realism, they wouldn't be where they are today. So it's such a, it's a double-edged sword, but it is a good point to bring up because you always hear the big names, like have a vision, go chase it, passion, positivity, all this stuff. It's all great. but the if there's no action, if you're not being realistic about where you're actually going, what's a, I mean, you're not going to get anywhere. It's it's the strangest thing because uh, the, the only analogy I give people on this topic is, is if you want to try to remember somebody's name, you can't remember, stop thinking about it. Right. So there's this duality that we live in on a daily basis. And it is known, very well known in the VC world and, 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 you know, in the startup community that a lot of companies pivot. So the concept that they start with a concept Nobody's buying that concept. So Slack, uh, there's a famous story around how Slack was, I think, video games or something. They were building something else. So are you familiar with Slack? Yeah, I use that. Oh, yeah, okay. communication. Yeah. For those who aren't out there, it's an it's a instant messaging and communication tool and file sharing tool that a lot of corporations use. Um, they built this thing because they were so frustrated 
with the email solution and file storage solutions and being able to work on documents together. And so they built it so that they could just be more effective as an organization to build this other thing. Well, the other thing they built, again, apologies to all the Slack people if I get the story wrong, <laughs> but, but go with the myth of it, is the original thing they built, like supposedly crashed and burned, but this communication platform that they built amongst each other ended up becoming the thing, right? Because they solved a problem that they themselves were having. And sure enough, when they brought it to other people, they're like, oh my God, yeah, that solves a problem. So there's, there's, I, I, I don't know how else to say it, but you, you have to believe, and maybe it's just believing in yourself. Like, I'll give an example. Like, like yourself, yeah. I'm just, I, I love golf, but I was not, I don't, I don't know how much I could have practiced. I don't think I could have ever practiced as much. I just don't think I could have gotten to a place where I could make money playing golf. I mean, Tiger Woods was, was shooting par, I think, at 12 years old. I mean, it's just, you know, and then he ended up practicing 12 or 14 hours a day. So what, does that mean I have to practice 18 hours a day? I mean, so there was this point where I'm just <laughs> like, as this. much as I, like, love the idea of making money playing golf, it, I did not think I had the native skills to do that. And so I don't know how to tell you because I'm not wanting to, like, you know, make anybody's dream sad or what have you. But there's, if you can find a way to have the dream but to be open to like changes to it or as the market sort of, you know, directs you in certain ways to following that, it's really helpful. Um, and you, and also you just got to make sure people, you know, people say a lot of, you know, it's a lot of stuff. So, you, you know, make sure that people are, are committed to it financially or willing to use it um, or something along those lines um, because then you go, okay, now I've got something. Now I've got something here. Yeah. Right? It's, it's just really important. I all kind of boils down to self-awareness. I talk about this a lot too. And like having EQ, I think there's a lot of people and we can tie this into leaders. And from my perspective that lack that, and in my perspective, it's just, that's to me why you're not a good leader. You don't have the self-awareness to A, admit when you're wrong. I think that's one thing that I've seen every successful person. They are the first ones to admit that they're wrong and then they're the first ones to pivot. And so I think it's taking that vision and like, okay, if this fails, it's not letting it deter you. And I've always said, like, don't take no for an answer, but also having a sense of realism, like, okay, why did this fail? And what could I have done differently to pivot this and go a separate direction? So I do think there's, and there's no right or wrong answer. And everyone's answer to the questions that I ask is different, but I'm huge on self-awareness. I just... And it matters. I mean, so there's a... Sorry, I keep using all these stories. So, um, but but it, but again, you use... The only way I know to tell this stuff is by most of the time, names that people know, uh, like Tiger Woods. So Steve Jobs, there's this famous story about Steve Jobs and one yeah. of the original Apple machines where he told this guy, he's like, we will never use a certain type of like, is like a disk drive or something like that. And all the engineers knew that it was impossible. Like it was, there was nothing physics out there in physics that was going to get around this, using this disk drive. And so, but it was marring up Steve Jobs' vision of the purity of the machine and all this whole stuff. And I think, and the only reason I bring this up is I think this is an example of Steve Jobs got it right, like most of the time. But there were times where his people knew that he was pushing the boundaries too far or he was just he was just wrong. And so they were flying somebody in, I think it's from Japan, and hiding the guy under the desk every time Steve Jobs would come down to look at the machine. And they were hiding the, the disk in the, the components in another machine. And they kept showing Steve like one version of the of the machine. And he's like, is it working? They're like, no, we still can't get it working because there's no way like – Physics wasn't to the point where they could get this thing to work. And so finally, Steve's like, oh, that's never going to work. We should pivot over to that other thing I told you guys not to work on. He goes, but that's going to make us delayed for four months, right? And they're like, well, we've actually been working with them on the side. And there's Bob, you know, or, you know, somebody under the desk who's been helping us. And so they end up, 
they end up hitting their deadline to get the, the, the machine out because they knew that his vision on this particular thing was a little bit off point. And so, you know, to your point around like having some humility and, and, and being open to um, other people, like knowing their job and knowing how to do it well, uh, there's definitely a huge aspect to that. You get all your people 5% more successful is going to trump almost anything you can do, right? So all you're trying to do is get a vision of what you're trying to accomplish and then get everybody to do their job really, really well and, you know, get out of their way. When you see people, Steve Jobs, all these super successful people in the world, and we kind of touched us uh, touched on this, and this is my last question for you on, you know, money doesn't buy you happiness. You've reached yourself to the top of an organization. You're CEO, you're an entrepreneur. And I personally think there's a false perception that when you reach the top, everything else in life is figured out. What challenges do you face now that you hadn't faced previously to becoming a CEO? And do you feel that there is more fear around success now that you're at the top or feel fear around failure that you think could be valuable to the people out there listening? Yeah, that's, that's a tough one. Um, there it was funny because I, I think for a lot of my life, I didn't really want to be CEO. It wasn't one of those things that in the back of my head, I was like, Ooh, I can't wait to be a CEO. Uh, it was, it was definitely something you just sort of fall into, I guess, maybe. Um, or, or <laughs> We've I heard that one it. before, yeah. Uh, and, but I, I think the biggest thing is, is there's definitely a massive sense of responsibility around making sure your people are taken care of. I mean, there's just this, this you, you really want the company to do well because you want your, your people to do well. And so, you know, at the end of the day, if the company doesn't do well, obviously you're impacted financially, you've got downside risks and all that jazz. Um, but usually you're in a place where you're like, okay, I can probably go figure something else out, right? Uh, but there's, I, at least for me, you, 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 there's just this incredibly strong feeling of like, okay, we've got to figure out a way to like crush this thing because I've got all these people that I love and yeah. I want them to crush it with me. And, and it's sort of like, what's the use of making a ton of money if, if you can't share it with anybody, right? And so um, the journey, oh God, I was about to say the journey is as important <laughs> as the destination, but it is sort of a, in a way, like, yeah. you know, if you're going to spend this time building a company with people, then you want them to have a good time and you want them to have some rewards at the end of it too. So um, there's definitely, a, a, that would be a strong sense of like, you can't let people down for sure. I heard that somewhere else and it sparked my attention because for my whole life, I've had a vision of entrepreneurship and I want to go do this and I want to, and there is a sense of me that feels like there's a, a sigh of relief, but I did um, an internal exercise and like after a meditation, and maybe this is something that you felt before, but I always thought that it was the fear of failure that was stopping me. But for me, it was a fear of success, a fear of how people will react. Will the people still be my friends? Like, will your family still be there? More money, more problems. And right? I, yeah. The society tells you that it, yeah. there's a fear of success, right? That's what that phrase means. You know, so it's not, it's not unusual for you to feel that. Yeah. Is that something that that resonates with you oh, personally for, sure. for being for sure. there? Yeah. I was like, oh yeah. For sure. When I was younger, I was like, if I if I climb too high, then then you know, am I going to be judged? Right. And I don't want to be judged, or am I going to have to be do podcasts I don't want to do? Right. I mean, all <laughs> yeah, this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but in serious, I mean, you yeah. know, you get put into situations that are uncomfortable, and and um, a lot of people will sabotage themselves right on the cusp of success. And so to, so to go back to your point. You got you got to know yourself, and you got to do some work on yourself in order to make sure that it's you're congruent on this journey. Yeah. Oh, is there anything else that you want to add on this podcast before I ask the final question? 
No, thanks for the time. I appreciate it. Um, Is there anything else that you want to leave the audience? I like yeah, to ask I, you any other tips or piece of advice. A couple you want to things. Um, for those of you who are out there, I'm going to do a shameless plug. We've got about a half a million unfilled jobs in cybersecurity in America. Over, I think, two million globally. And it's a problem that is a war that is on every single day. Um, I won't get into the geopolitics of it, but yeah. it happens every single day. Um, it's terribly fascinating. Uh, it's well paid. It's fun. And you don't have to be a technologist. You can. We've got people that are, um, my marketing lady's amazing. Um, you know, my head of sales is, you know, fantastic. Um, so you can be in lots of different roles. So if you like, you know, really trying to figure out how to tell stories, um, you know, you can get into marketing and, 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 tell, and do that. So um, it's, it's just something that's really important. Um, and we're just in a, in a staff shortage. And it's going to be that way for a long time. It's a growing industry. Uh, so, you know, if you're thinking about what you want to do with life, uh, then I would definitely encourage anybody to at least give a, give a kick to, you know, uh, kick the tires on, on cyber, cybersecurity. Uh, and, and I think one of the biggest things is, is it matters, you know, we always want, we all want to do, you said you, you want to do something that matters. You want to make a difference. And so obviously there's lots of ways you can do that. Many, many, many ways you can do that. But, um, you know, in the space, you're definitely doing something that, that matters. Um, we were dealing with, um, an organization the other day that got breached, you know, so hackers came in took over the organization, shut it down. So entire manufacturing capabilities were unable to be operable. And so you go in this process of helping them get back, uh, online and be able to do what they do. So, it's um it's just something that um I, I'm passionate about. Of course, uh, it it sounds it's a very geeky thing to say you're in cyber, <laughs> but um you know there there's just so much that you can do in this space. So anyway, anybody who is out there, you got kids, grandkids, nieces, nephews, uncles, brothers, sisters, uh, anybody, um, then uh, have them have have a give a think because we've got lots and lots of jobs. Uh, send them your way and send them our way. Send them send them to anybody in the industry right yeah. now because everybody needs them. So, that, so that's that's the shameless plug about just uh, what we're trying to do out in the uh, out in the world. Okay, I like that. Yeah. We love that. And the final question that I ask every single person that comes on this podcast is Scott, what are you grateful for today? Uh, that one's an easy one for me. I it's it's the only things that matter, right? Relationships and health. Um, so obviously the job is great. I love what I'm doing on a daily basis. But one. I wake up every day, feel healthy, feel amazing, no no aches or pains. So I'm just super thankful that, you know, the body works and somehow, some way I'm still, you know, not too insane just yet. Um, so, and then the second thing, I've, I've got amazing family and amazing friends. I mean, I'm super blessed. Uh, my parents are fantastic. My brother's fantastic. Um, my friends are just unbelievable, super supportive. You can talk about, you know, anything and everything. Um, and, you know, and they're all over the world and they come and visit me. Um, so, you know, through the hard times, that's the stuff that gets you by, right? So... Uh, yeah. Super blessed, uh, super blessed, feel super blessed every day uh, and, and thankful for the, for the opportunity to, to do what I do. Yeah, I love that. And I am thankful for my friends, especially in Dallas. I feel like a lot of my friends have moved. We've moved to different cities, but I feel like I'm at that point in my life where I have people around me that are supporting me not tearing me down or not talking about me behind my back. And I know that's something that I really put an intention on over the last few years. So I'm just super grateful for my friends and I'm always grateful for this podcast and meeting people like you. So thank you all. I'm for- going to talk behind your back, but I promise it'll, it'll only be good things. <laughs> yeah. the there, there we go. So thank you all for tuning in as always rate review, subscribe, send it to your friend, send it to your neighbor, and we'll see you all next Monday. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks everyone. Thanks Aaron.